New York City is made of a lot of concrete and steel, but beyond its rugged exterior, it has a good amount of soul. You'll find it in the city's jazz clubs, on Broadway, and in its many places of worship. Good morning, I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. Coming up on this morning's show, we'll explore the city's religious diversity, from an interfaith family in Upper Manhattan to a Wiccan high priestess in the Bronx. Religion in New York City on Cityscape from 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. New York City is known for its museums, skyscrapers, and nightlife. So how does religion fit into city life? I pose that question to Courtney Bender. She's an associate professor of religion at Columbia University. New Yorkers are not at all unreligious, um, even though this has the kind of sense that it's Babylon and it's this place of sin and iniquity. Um, New Yorkers really are um, vibrantly religious. How diverse is the city's religious scene? Um, It's actually quite diverse. Like most other major American cities, um, it is uh, the home to not only Catholics and Protestants of every stripe, but also Sikhs, Hindus, Buddhists, and so on. And the number of institutions, actually, that um, help people to live their religious lives here in New York City are, are enormously diverse as well. What is the role of the places of worship here in the city? It's interesting because right now we've seen some Catholic churches close, others are Mm -hmm. slated to close. Mm -hmm. I guess some people have moved off to the suburbs and that has left pews empty. Mm -hmm. Well, there are, it's not so much that the pews are empty, particularly with Catholicism, as that um, the types or the groups of people who are are worshiping are different and they're in different parts of the city. So you see, for example, some churches that are empty, but you see others that are bursting at the seams in terms of number of people and number of services given every week. So there's really a shift in the um, types of people um, who are participating within Catholicism, I think is what we see. Does that go for religions beyond Catholicism as well, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism here in New York? Yes and no. I mean, I think that what what we really see is, um, in some ways, Catholicism shifting from being really a European-focused um, organized group with lots of Italians and Irish and so on, and Germans. Those groups have sort of moved onto the suburbs, so to speak. Um, but you see then the new immigrant groups from Latin America, Africa, and, and uh, Asia coming in to fill Catholic pews in different places. But then with the other groups, say um, Hindus, um, um, South Asians, um, Muslims from around the world. These are, are new religious groups that are actually building new institutions in the city. Um, and that's taken shape really, um, got started about 40 years ago with changes in immigration policies in the United States that allowed new groups of people to come. Um, but in the last 20 years, we've seen a real flourishing and burgeoning um, new set of religious organizations. So I would think we're seeing many more mosques than we did in the past. Yes, yes. Um, I think uh, the numbers from the one of the um, dictionaries that I was looking at this morning um, noted that there were five mosques in New York City in 1960, um, and that the last count in 1986, for which I have numbers, there were 50 mosques. There are now plenty more than that. In fact, if you go around um, in the outer boroughs and even in Manhattan, you kind of can't miss the mosques. It's really wonderful. Yeah. That's what's really so interesting about New York is that you never know when you're going to bump into a place of worship. Sometimes even a storefront is used as a place of worship. Right, exactly. And what we see actually with the storefronts, these many of these mosques that I'm mentioning are, are quite small. They are storefronts similar to um, Christian storefront um, churches. This is, you know, um, immigrant groups and people who um, also don't have a lot of resources often um, will, um, you know, rent a storefront place. It's a really important way to sort of say um, we're here, we're present 
different. We want to have the same kind of place of in the city to worship, to demonstrate that we are both, um, you know, that, that we are religious people and that we are here in the city. You can't lump all religious groups together. You can't lump the Catholics together, the Jews together, the Muslims together. How varied are these religions here in New York and the missions of their congregations? Uh, well, they're as varied as the, well, they are very varied. <laughs> so, um, so right. So I think that it's important to see that, you know, for example, within um, the Muslim community in New York City, you see uh, many different um, varieties and flavors because people from, say, West Africa coming to um, the United States um, follow a different sort of type of um, religious practice than people from Pakistan or from Saudi Arabia, right? So they, and they also have different languages that they, you know, speak to each other in. Uh, so there's a very much of a heterogeneity within the Muslim community, also within American Catholicism. That's always been the truth, um, but I think even more so now. Um, and um, it's, it's, you know, it varies from religion to religion. Um, what is also quite interesting for for example, within Hinduism in the United States, particularly in New York, is that um, groups that might have been worshiping in different regions in India, um, in different types of, with different kinds of um, devotional um, figures that they're that they're looking at, um, worship in the United States in New York together in the same space. So you have temples that have multiple deities as opposed to one, which is my, what you might see in India. So you see sort of a bunch of different things happening here, sometimes forces towards homogeneity within religion and sometimes um, continuing flourishing of heterogeneity within traditions. With this new influx, mm -hmm. have we seen any increased tension among religions here in New York? One of the things that always strikes me as very interesting about New York is the ways that people sort of live and let live. So um, while there are certainly tensions um, in communities, I think that one of the things that New York City does is teach, it teaches people very quickly that they have to um, sort of get along with other people. And fortunately, people are not just religious here in New York City. They're also, you know, consumers. They're also members of national groups and so on and so forth. So the religiousness sometimes, in fact, there's a lot of stuff about American society that encourages people to kind of downplay um, religious identities to a certain degree, you know, so that you can get along. So I think what's actually quite interesting is that we also see a lot of religious groups working together um, here. They find, immigrant groups find that they have common concerns or common interests, and you sort of see almost strange bedfellows actually happening more frequently than tension between religious groups. I was going to ask you that question. What is the role of religious groups here in the city as far as providing social services to the communities around them? Mm -hmm. The religious groups actually have a, a big role in providing social services. Um, one thing we see is that as new religious, as new immigrant groups come to the city, if they are members of a religious community that's been around for a while, in fact, belonging to a religious group actually taps them into a set of institutions that actually have a pretty long-standing, robust presence in the city and ability to connect them to social services. This is particularly true, for example, in Chinatown. Um, it's also true for Catholics. Um, and historically, we saw that also in the 19th century, for example, both Jewish communities when um, Eastern European Jews came to the city in large numbers. Uh, the German Jews who w were here played an enormous role in integrating and helping Jews, the newcomers, come in. So that's one way, yes, that, you know, by belonging to a religious group, you actually are better able, this is something that researchers have noticed a number of times, are better able to 
tap into social services and other kinds of resources. Um, religious groups also, the newcomers that are here, also by identifying as a religious group, um, it gives people a sense of belonging uh, in a way that if you're not a member of a religious group, um, you might feel sort of you know lost and alone in this big city. So the by participating within a religious group, even if the groups haven't been here for very long, there's still an effect, a positive, a positive effect in that way. Here in New York City, it seems that after 9-11, a lot of people turned to religion, people who weren't practicing their mm-hmm. faith for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. We did see a, an uptick or an upsurge right after 9-11 of people um, going to church, people going to services and so on. But as for the rest of the world, or at least the rest of America, that was a rather um, short-lived uptick. And I think, you know, by September 2002, we saw people kind of returning to their normal, um, statistically speaking, to their normal habits and their normal routines. I would think there are a lot of misconceptions here in New York about religions from someone who's Catholic, may not really understand Judaism, may Mm -hmm. not really understand Wicca. And a little Mm -hmm. later in the show, we'll Mm -hmm. be talking to someone who practices Wicca. Mm -hmm. Yes, there is. Although there's a lot of diversity in of religion in New York City, and you'd think that, you know, say walking down the street and saying, seeing a mosque and a, a temple and a church and so on would actually increase people's understanding of other religious traditions. We find actually that that's not the case, that there is, in fact, a tolerance that's based on um, a lack of knowledge, actually, about what happens in other people's religious traditions. So um, I think that's actually a challenge for New York. You know, we sort of celebrate this diversity, but we have really no sense of what it actually means to be a religiously diverse city. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's going to be a big challenge, I think, for us as a city in the future. That being said, because we don't wear labels, I'm Catholic, I'm Muslim, I'm Jewish, you never know who you're going to meet and sometimes you meet someone of a different faith. Mm-hmm. I would think we have many interfaith families now developing in this city. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you have um, so many opportunities to meet other people, and, um, you know, you sort of have the classic um, Jewish-Catholic uh, families or the Catholic-Protestant families, but you also see increasing numbers if you just even read the Times or the Post and look at the um, wedding announcements. You know, every week you see the uh, Hindu-Jewish uh, couple or this or that. So this is, I think, a reality also, and in a certain way will certainly lead to more understanding of interreligiousness or of religious difference on this this very local level. Does religion have a big impact on politics here in the city, do you think? Less so now than in the past. But there are many religious figures um, in the city who are able, for example, to um, make claims uh, for people who are oppressed or for people who may not have the ear of uh, people in City Hall. Um, and that is a very important role that religious figures, religious leaders are continue to be able to play. Whether it's an issue related to homosexuality mm-hmm. or abortion, we may hear something from St. Patrick's mm-hmm. and Cardinal Egan. Mm-hmm. Whether it's an issue affecting the black community, we may hear from Reverend Al Sharpton. Right, exactly. But there are a number. So those are the people who you kind of immediately think of as New York's religious uh, leaders. Um, But there are a number of more grassroots religious leaders throughout the city who are also, say, for example, um, quick. they, They cultivate relationships with the police, the local police precinct, so that, for example, when in Williamsburg, when there is um, strife between um, Orthodox Hasidic Jew- or Hasidic Jews and the police, there are brokers within that community, people who are leaders that will help to smooth things over or to help understand, help the police to understand um, why people are acting in particular ways in relation to their own religious convictions. So these more grassroots root 
religious leaders that we don't really hear much about, sort of, that, are, that don't have these these really, um, you know, public um, voice boxes, you know, they they play an, a very important role in the city. It's interesting. If we want the, to see the diversity of New York, sometimes all we have to do is look at the police department and the fire departments, mm -hmm. because just this week, the city named a Muslim chaplain mm -hmm. at the police department. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that what we see, actually, is uh, these institutions like the police and the fire department, um, responding to and recognizing um, religious diversity within the city. And those are incredibly important roles, and not just for the services that they provide, but also symbolically saying, hey, look, you know, you know, New Yorkers, New York's firefighters, New York's uh, police force is really as multi-religious as the rest of the city. So, and, you know, this, these are incredibly important um, symbols um, of our own um, understanding about what it is to be a New Yorker in this really incredibly interesting global age. Courtney Bender, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Courtney Bender is an associate professor of religion at Columbia University. When you think of a witch, what images come to mind? How about Samantha Stevens from the television show Bewitched? Or maybe the Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz? These are fictional characters, but Wicca is a real religion that many people practice right here in New York City. Lady Rhea is one of them. She runs an occult shop in the Fordham section of the Bronx called Magical Realms. I recently met up with her to get a tour of her shop and a better understanding of Wiccan traditions. My name is Lady Rhea, and I am a Wiccan high priestess in New York metro area. Right now we are on Webster Avenue at Original Products Magical Realms in the Bronx. Now we're coming down a long hallway. This is one of the readers' rooms, and if you notice, I have married a mixture of both the Santerian gods, Orishas, uh, saints, and Wiccan gods and goddesses, and including Hinduism and Native American statues. Well, let me just say, Lady Rhea, that there are a lot of misconceptions about the Wiccan tradition. Oh, yeah. When you say Wicca to many people, they instantly think Wicked Witch of the West. West. Or they think she's a Satanist, she's a devil worshiper, or someone the other day said, yeah, and I'm sure you're really nice, but if you get angry, I'd better watch out. But we're very fun-loving people. We are tree worshipers. We worship the Great Mother Earth and the Father Sky. We believe that if we were made in God's image, then there's also a female because I don't look like a male. We believe in equality for all people. I don't think anybody should be one greater than the other, but it's your deeds and your actions that really count in this world in the end, isn't it? Let me ask you about the rituals involved in the Wiccan tradition. In order for us to congregate, we cast an energy field called a circle around ourselves. And just as in Christianity, we have four angels. In Wicca, we have four watchtowers, the north, the south, the east, the west. Uh, we invoke the king of dragons in the south. We invoke the king of the gnomes in the north. We invoke the king of the sylphs in the east for the air. They're genies, gens. And we invoke undines, which are water beings in the west, to guard our circle so that we may have our sacred rites. And in that sacred space, we're able to invoke the ancient ones, ancient gods or goddesses, or perform a ritual for someone that needs a healing or someone wants to buy a home 
or someone needs a new job or someone has a particular problem and the covenant has agreed to get to work and perform a ritual or rite. And sometimes it's just to get together to say, oh boy, have I been having a time. Oh God, it's so good to be in circle and just relax and just like you go to church to have praise when we get together and we make praise to the ancient one. Uh, jinx removing bad salts, money drawing bad salts, uncrossing bad salts, root spray, different scented candles. These are the soaps that have different soaps like fast luck and money drawing and the odor or fragrance of the soap is supposedly, allegedly. Is there a difference between pagan and Wiccan? Yes. A Wiccan is an initiation of a private ritual and a private rite and an, an oath that you take. A Wiccan is pagan, but a pagan is someone who was chosen to be free and choose to practice Egyptian mythology or Roman mythology or British or Celtic or Welsh. You know, whatever floats your boat. You mentioned the Sabbaths. The major Sabbaths are the summer solstice, the winter solstice, the Samhain, which is Halloween, which is the marking of the end of the year. We have a lot of Halloween parties. We have a Halloween parade. So let's face it, people are really into dressing up. But the uh, real purpose of the dress-up was to represent someone who had lived in the past and we were representing their ghost in the present. And the flying on the broom thing, okay. Everyone always wants to know about the flying on the broom. Yes, we really did fly on brooms, but not in the way you think. A broom is symbolic of a male, which is the staff, and a female, which is the fanned out bush, so to speak, joined together. And witches would take them out into the crops, into the fields and they would straddle the brooms, and they would jump up and down amongst the corn or the wheat growing to show the plants this is fertility, grow higher, fertility, grow higher. And when you're leaping in a moonlit meadow, you look like you're flying past the moon. Let me ask, what makes an Italian Catholic from the Bronx seek out Wicca? When I was a little girl, I could see and I know I'm going to sound like a nut now, but I've got to be honest. I could see fairies in my mind's eye. I couldn't physically see them, but I could sense them. I could sense and create in my own imagination this mystical world. I was raised on Roman mythology because my parents were Italian, and I was raised on Roman myths, um, stories about the old gods. Italy still does, to this day, keep its old gods very alive even though they're Roman Catholic. Even at age seven, I was very drawn to wanting my mother to purchase incense for me, and I wanted to chant over it. So I would have to say that this is very much a past life. You know, Hoyt's cologne, Florida water, lavender water, rose water, bay rum, honey, voodoo dolls. There is a song we have where we sing, we all come from the goddess. And to her we shall return like a drop of rain flowing to the ocean. And the next verse is hoof and horn, hoof and horn. All you do realize be what people who are not as open-minded would think about what you're saying. You know what, Lady Rhea? You're out of your mind. Well, be that as it may, you know what? In the end, there is one conclusion 
when we all pass and we all will die, we all have to look at Creator, whatever Creator is, and answer. And I have no problem facing Creator and saying, I bless the abundance and the harmony you gave me on life. I bless every dawn and I bless every dusk and know that it's a gift from Creator. If you commit random acts of kindness and random acts of beauty out there in the world, you are planting good seeds no matter what your faith, no matter what your path. We're all on a giant spiral dance together, and that never ends. Lady Rhea, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Lady Rhea is a Wiccan high priestess from the Bronx. Her shop is online at MagicalRealms.com, and Magical is spelled M-A-G-I-C-K-A-L. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Borarki. Many New Yorkers are celebrating Passover or Holy Week this week, with Easter coming up tomorrow, of course. And some families are celebrating both. I recently met an interfaith couple from Manhattan's Inwood neighborhood. We are an interfaith household, which means that we celebrate and observe both Judaism and Christianity, and we're raising our children in the traditions of both. I'm Tanya Cade, and I am the Jew in the family. Hi, my name is George Cade, and I'm the Catholic. Both sides of our families have been very supportive, and I'm was very pleasantly surprised because George comes from a very uh, large, <laughs> de- devoutly Roman Catholic country yeah. and where they didn't really know any Jewish people before they met me. I was yeah. the first Jew that George really knew, but my mother-in-law has been fantastic and, and very accepting of it. I'm from Argentina. We have a large population of Jewish people living in there, but uh, I never met one. I had to come all the way to New York to meet one. <laughs> I got lucky. I don't think we talked about in the beginning of our no. courtship because neither one of us are very strongly religious. Um, we really weren't practicing our faiths when we met. However, when we did become engaged, then we did start talking about children, and that's when we started talking about religion. We just didn't feel that it was fair to ask one person to convert because we feel very strongly that who you are is partially made up of your religion. So it's like asking someone to change their skin color. For quite a while, we were like concerned how we're going to do it. We knew that we had to both feel comfortable if one of our children either decides to become one religion, Christian or Jewish, or just believes in the teachings more strongly of one of the religions. And so we had to make sure that we were comfortable with that and that we also weren't going to be vying for favoritism either. Harrison, my eight-year-old, he really uh, started to understand. He asked questions all the time. Harrison was very adamant that I should believe in Christ uh, a little while ago. And, uh, well, you know, being, being the Jewish one, that was a little challenging, but we had a lot of discussions, and he has now come to accept that although Mom doesn't believe in Christ, that's okay, and that's what the Catholics believe, and that's what Dad believes, and it's okay if that's what he believes, and we've moved past that. Holy, holy, holy Lord God. 
Jews are not supposed to kneel before any other god. And of course, and I've been in many Catholic churches, but and you're supposed to kneel, but that's you know it's just been embedded in me, and so that's been somewhat of an issue with George. We don't really do anything 100%. Obviously, I'm not kosher, but as far as the holidays go, I don't clean out the house for Passover. However, we do have a full Seder with all the trimmings. And for Easter, we dye eggs and we, uh, and we go to church and there's the Easter bunny and we incorporate as much as possible. The world is becoming more and more pluralistic and I think that our kids are gonna have a very good head start dealing with that. We have many friends with different religions, some friends that don't believe in God at all, and they understand that there is no one right way of doing anything, and I think that's a really good thing to understand early on in your life. It's a lot of fun to raise your kids, teaching them both religion, they appreciate it, they understand, and it's fun. George and Tanya Cade are an interfaith couple from Upper Manhattan. They're part of a group called the Interfaith Community. Learn more at interfaithcommunity.org. Friends gather here. It's a saying people often use to describe their homes, a place where you can find comfort and calm, as well as a good conversation. But a unique boarding house in downtown Manhattan means it literally. Friends, as in Quakers. The Pennington House was founded 110 years ago to provide a home for Quakers and to those in sympathy with the Society of Friends. And while its original religious mission has changed over the years, it still fosters a style of living built on community, respect, and spirituality, all in the heart of the East Village. My name's Jesse, and I'm the co-manager of the Pennington. And right now we're in the parlor. There's a picture of the woman who founded Pennington. Her name was Phoebe Anna Thorne. I know that she had a great interest in helping young people. Her idea for the Pennington was that it would be a place for young Quakers who were moving to New York. She wanted to make the transition to living here something that would be easier uh, for those young friends. At the time, it was for Quakers exclusively, and then it gradually went towards not being all Quaker, and then at one point they went back to being all Quaker because the non-Quakers were causing trouble, I guess. But in general, it, it, it was flexible enough um, that it could, it could change with the times. We have uh, not a whole lot of Quakers now, but we do have a lot of our guests are Quakers, so the guest rooms that we have are often filled by visiting Quakers from other parts of the world. In terms of length of stay, maybe there's a sort of tendency for people to stay a few years. There's a maximum stay of five years, but that was actually instituted somewhat recently. So anyone who was here before that was instituted, some of those people have been here longer. In terms of who they are, where they're from, it would be hard to draw any clear picture. It's pretty much could be anyone who applies. So in terms of choosing people, we, we talk to people about their experiences with communities that they've lived in in the past, and that's what's mainly important is understanding that. This is the dinner bell, which is rung every night before dinner, 6 o'clock. Dinner is every day at 6 except for Saturday. My name is Joan Shapiro. Uh, my position is chief cook and bottle washer or chef. I've been here for almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years next October. I 
think of the cooking that I do as New York multi-ethnic cooking, and it's kind of proletarian because it's cafeteria style. We're not plating up fancy food for people, but at the same time, it's got a lot of the diversity that you find in New York. It's not mandatory to come to dinner, so the table is set for about 18 people, and I think we have 24 plus living in the house regularly. It's set out buffet style, and people help themselves and sort of congregate in small groups. I like the openness of the kitchen. I like that it's very homey, and people come in and out, and there's color and action going on all the time. My name is Anna Colosi, and I moved to the Pennington almost two years ago. I'm a Quaker, and I had heard about Pennington through Quakers, and uh, because it was a Quaker house, I wanted to be here. It's funny to, to think about how the house uh, incorporates Quaker values. We kind of felt that uh, maybe there were a number of people in the house who didn't even know what Quaker values were. There are a couple that kind of stand out, and I think um, the one that kind of sets the tone for everything is seeing that of God in everyone. And uh, when you kind of look at the world that way, it uh, kind of says how you're going to live. The other things that come from that are treating everybody equally and fairly and living simply, recycling, doing with just what you need, not looking for the extravagant. When you think about living in New York City, uh, people think of big high-rise buildings, uh, very impersonal, where you don't know your neighbors. And I'm really glad that I live in a house like this, where I know the person who lives in the room next door to me, and not only do I know them, but I eat dinner with them. Uh, and that's something that doesn't happen in a big city. Pennington House is located on 15th Street, just off 3rd Avenue. You can find out more information about the house at pennington.org. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. Happy Easter or Passover or whatever you might be celebrating. Remember, you can find our archives or you can podcast Cityscape at wfuv.org. My thanks to producer Jody Avergan. Have a great weekend.